We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Guys, finding a nice suit for a good price is tough. That's why I roll with Indochino. Great custom suits that are affordable. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure men's warehouse. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurement for a great fit. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customization, submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. The Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. This is an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And this episode is brought to you by Indochino, Ship Station, and Harry's Razors. What's up, Jack? Man, that would have been a nice one. It would have. It would have been a very nice win on a Sunday, especially after beating Boston on Friday. You know, you'd beat two of the top teams in the East, but the Nets weren't able to pull it out. They had a great opportunity at home at Barclays, but they couldn't. 109-106. And before we get into it, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and bluewirepods.com. But, Jack, it was it was tough down the stretch. The Heat finished the game on a 10-0 run. So what happened down the stretch, Nick? Did the Nets blow it? Uh, you know, it was some of the Nets blowing it. It was also just the Heat executing better. You know, the Nets had a couple opportunities where they missed shots that they normally hit. You know, Joe Harris had a nice three that he missed. Spencer did when he missed a driving layup. He also forced probably a, a three on Jimmy Butler, which he got a partial block on on the other end. You know, there was probably 
could have had better transition defense on a couple of those plays. It allowed Jimmy Butler to get moving in transition a little bit and maybe get a mismatch and then get to the free throw line. So overall, the Nets kind of blew the game, but it was also the difference in Miami having Jimmy Butler and the Nets not having you know Kyrie Irving or even Karis Avert out there. Yeah, I mean, it would certainly help having, you know, one or two of your three best players out there. It certainly shows, I guess, if we're looking at it as a bigger picture sort of scenario, we've beaten the Boston Celtics, we were incredibly competitive and probably should have beaten the Miami Heat. In that sense, we're around that range, especially, obviously, we need to figure out some chemistry issues with Karras and, and the roles, and I think we'll probably chat about that later in the pod once we've dived deep into this game overall. But it's a, it's a positive sign, but, you know, obviously, at the end of the day, you would rather get the win than just look at positive signs. Yeah, 100%. I think it's positive you can compete with a team like the Heat without your stars, but overall, you want to get better possessions down the stretch. And I think it was somewhat of the Heat just turning up the intensity and, like I mentioned, having Jimmy Butler, but they were just playing a little bit more physical, executing a little bit better. It's like they just turned it up and the Nets didn't at that time, and that's what cost them the game. But there was also a lot of mistakes in this game where the Nets could have put themselves in an even better position to win at the end. Yeah, I mean, to score 65 points in the first half to 58 and then to close out with only 41 points in the second half, it shows that Miami did really crank it up on defense and they have, you know, some all-worldly defenders in, in the likes of Bam Adebayo, Justice Winslow, and obviously Jimmy Butler too. Um, they are just incredibly talented players on that end of the floor. But I guess we'll dive deep into the players first, Nick. Jared Allen's injury, you were telling me a little bit about it. Are you calling Jimmy Butler dirty? No, I mean, I don't think it's dirty. It's just typically a play you see, but he definitely kind of undercut Jared Allen on a box out. Jared Allen fell on his hand. You know, he had it taped up, had ice on the bench, and you can kind of tell he went back to almost being last year Jared Allen where he just wasn't as aggressive in terms of attacking the boards or attacking inside or even being as impactful defensively. So he was out of his game. It was almost like this would probably be one of the few games this season where DeAndre would probably play better than him. Yeah, and I mean, the, the minutes were exact for, for both of them, 24 apiece. So, you know, obviously Jared Allen still had 12 rebounds, had four points. You know, those foul, a little bit of foul trouble as well to go with the injury. Takes you out of your, your psyche. But, you know, obviously he's going to have those up and down games. He's still only 21. But the, some of the other starters, Nick, it seemed like we relied a lot on Spencer Dibbony and Joe Harris. Garrett Temple, when he's on hitting the three ball and Torian Prince, it certainly hurts the offensive spacing and, and, and the scheme in general. And you're against a Miami Heat team who know how to really lock in defensively. When you're hitting those threes, you know, only to go uh, 33.3% from uh, the perimeter, it hurts uh, overall because we want to... We really want to give ourselves a little bit of leeway. And, you know, obviously when you can't score down the stretch as well, uh, it, it just hurts the team all around. Yeah, and I think when Miami's giving so much attention to Spencer Dinwiddie, especially a lot of double teams off the pick and roll, blitzing him, attacking him, just forcing the ball out of his hands, specifically in that second half, you need guys like Torian Prince and Garrett Temple to not only knock down their shots but make a couple more plays. And we've seen in the past both Prince and Temple are just more effective players, even not shooting when they knock down their threes. How was the defense from those two? You know, I think it wasn't amazing. None of it really stood out. I think Prince had a couple good plays, and he also had a couple of bad plays. It's been pretty consistent for him all season. Garrett Temple, I thought, did a solid job. But Jimmy Butler is just a good player. I think if out of people who defended Jimmy Butler, David Nwaba did the best job. Oh, we're going to get to that boy soon. And we might as well rename this podcast the David Nwaba podcast because we love that guy. Or maybe the David Nwaba, Joe Harris, Carlos the Bird podcast. <laughs> but that, 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 that's for another day. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie continued 10 of 21 from the field, 4 of 9 for 3, Nick, 5 of 5 from the line, had 4 assists. Spencer Dinwiddie, again, playing like an all-star, continuing to 
elevate his game. You know, I saw the quote from Jared Allen last time uh, after the Boston Celtics game. He's like, this is the standard from him. And it seems to me now that Spencer has that confidence where he's just like, I'm going to put up 25 every night. I'm going to be a damn superstar, if, if not close to it. Yeah, no, Spence was really good. I think at the end of the game in the fourth quarter was probably where a lot of his miscues came up. But majority of the game, he was very good again. And obviously, it's going to happen with teams kind of attack you a little bit more. Even on the last possession, it felt like he took too much time instead of trying to rush down court to get a better shot and where he could have maybe passed it to a Joe Harris to take that last shot or something like that. What went wrong down that stretch, I guess, Nick? Was it just the Nets not hitting shots? Was it my, If you were to... I know you love those sort of percentages, and I'm going to throw a percentage at you. Was it, you know, 60% the Miami defense, 40% the Brooklyn Nets not hitting shots and getting the right looks? You know, give me some percentages out of to, for the people at home. Yeah, I think one thing I would have probably done is easier to say in hindsight because this closing lineup has worked. I would have kept David Nawab in the game because he was the only player that was really able to disrupt Jimmy Butler. He was having a lot more success against Dinwiddie and Temple, so I think that's something you would have done. And DeAndre, you would have maybe liked to get him back in there, but it seemed like he was really gassed when he got subbed out in the fourth quarter. So they're almost forced to go back to Jared Allen, who wasn't himself. So that'd be two changes right there. And percentage at the end of the game, I would say it was, yeah, 60 40 is about right, because I think Miami turned up the defense, but there was still enough plays to be made by the Nets where they could have done things better. And I think some of it was just getting into the sets and executing instead of kind of allowing Miami's physicality to disrupt you and make you a little bit uncomfortable. Who would you take in, uh, who would you put Nawaba in for? Uh, probably Garrett Temple. You know, okay. Temple wasn't really hitting his three, and Temple was the guy you're going to throw on Butler. So I think you do that. And, you know, Nawaba was actually somewhat effective offensively in this game. Yeah, 10 points, 407 from the field, did hit a three ball, had some rebounds, you know, had a block as well. Let's get to him. Uh, I mean, there is. I think you have to admire the engagement levels of a David Duarte because he played so well in that loss to Boston, you know, away from home. And he doesn't get any minutes when we head back to Barclays. And then he's thrown in again tonight and plays probably an even better game from everything that I've read. You know, how good is this kid in terms of just the energy that he brings? It's almost like, you know, defensive version of Rodion's Kuritz in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, he is good defensively, and like a Jimmy Butler matchup is almost like the ideal matchup for him because he has the size and strength to defend a guy like that, where Jimmy Butler, a lot of muscle guys, a lot on post. You didn't see that with Nawaba. Also, we know about his wingspan. He had a nice block in this game, too. And offensively, he was just kind of attacking inside. When Miami would try to hide a smaller defender on him, be like a Goran Dragic, he would attack him at the rim and just use his size to get up there and lay it in. He also had a nice spin move and a transition bucket in this game. Got a little bit of confidence, but you could feel the energy he brought to the squad. Well, I mean, we'll get to one of the questions from a regular co-host on this pod, you know, and Will Jackson brought this to us, Nawaba versus Musa. I'm assuming this means long-term, so I guess we'll get to this one and, and talk about it because we are on the topic. Tell me, before we do, though, Nick, tell me a little bit about Janan Musa's game today. Yeah, not an, another bad game for Janan Musa. Just overall, offensively, he's not finding a rhythm, and he's just trying to do too much at times. And then defensively, he'll show some spurts, but he had one play in this game where he got beat on a backdoor cut where he was just straight up ball watching. So Musa's not doing enough things on the court very well to not play a David Nwaba. Yeah, it seems to me... One thing, and I can't remember if I've taken this from someone, I think I might have, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm not crediting you, but Jalen Musa's getting much more leeway than some of the other guys that have been coached by Coach Kenny. If we're looking at, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Kara Sever, um, as guys that I can rattle off the top of my head. Why Even is Dinwiddie, he still, yeah. And Dinwiddie too. Why is he given this leeway? 
It's a great question. I think maybe it's a little bit of force that the Nets are thinking maybe we can get this guy going. He could be that offensive punch off the bench. Or maybe it's Sean Marks wanted to get a better view of what Musa is and kind of make a decision on him moving forward. But overall, it just seems like from a body perspective, Musa's body is just not ready to compete against NBA guys. If you look at his arms, they are skinny. Like he just does not have size and muscle to compete with NBA wings on a daily basis. Yeah, and I don't think he has the the burst of speed. I'm not saying he's slow by any imagination, but you know we saw Williams Kuritz last season, and we mentioned about like sort of how frail and and skinny he sort of was. But he makes up for that with just insane length and speed, and even much better aggression and a much better defender, and a little bit smarter in in, in terms of you know what he was doing last season. And so I guess going forward, Nick. Are you? I, don't know, I think I mentioned this on the last part. I know you were a little bit more skeptical. I guess we sort of talked about Pinson as well. Is Nawaba at the top of the rankings when it comes to, I guess, the ninth man in the rotation between those three? Yeah, I think so, especially when Kyrie and Karras are back. We kind of talked about on the last show. When you have playmakers and good offensive players that can do things on their own, it's easier to have a David Nawab out there when you're running out, you know, Theo Pinson and you want to give him some help. You want to maybe have a guy like Moose who can handle the ball a little bit. But those other guys feel confident being the only ball handler, or you can just stagger the minutes with all three of being Spencer, Karras, and Kyrie, where you don't have to worry about ball handling duty. So it's easier to play Nawaba. Yeah, I think Nawaba has to get minutes. You know, I just love every single night. He. I mean, early in the season, we sort of were skeptical about him. And then, you know, we were talking about whether Wilson Chandler would, would take over, you know, him and he would be the one on the out. And we're going to get to that question soon from another listener. But we've got to stick on this game. We've spoken about, you know, David Noir. We've spoken about the, the most of the starters. We haven't spoken about Joe Harris. With the holiday rush here, you have to be able to ship out orders quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders? Decide which shipping carrier to use or if you're getting the best rate. Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. I personally have relatives across the United States, and shipping their gifts can be annoying, but ShipStation makes it easy. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE. You get a 60-day free trial. That's two months of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com. Enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation, make ship happen. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years. And the secret to a great shave? It hasn't changed. The ancient Greeks didn't need a flex ball or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge to add gimmicky features to your razor. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. You know, I personally enjoy Harry's. Low price, close shave, keeps my beard edged up nice. You know, they're quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman. It's a German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century which means you're getting an incredibly high quality blade at factory direct prices. Harry's is super convenient. Send the subscriptions right to your house and listeners to my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash blue wire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five blade razor with lubricating strips and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated and a travel blade to cover your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to start shaving better today. 
and it wouldn't be a Brooklyn buzz with me hosting if I didn't ask about Joe Harris's game. Yeah, really good game from Joe Harris. You know, he's hitting a lot of tough threes, had a nice little jab step, I think, on Duncan Robinson. But also he did a great job of attacking the Heat for overplaying him at the three-point line. And also the Nets running some actions to take the center out of the paint. Joe utilized that, and it got to the rim and was able to take his man off the dribble. He also, I think, has a hes- think- hesitation move in this game. I mean, Joe is just developing before our eyes in terms of the, the repertoire and the, the many little things. It's just like, okay, Joe, you do your thing. You do your thing. But in that sense, Nick, is Joe underrated for his intelligence as a player? Yeah, I think he has great basketball IQ. You always see him like talking with Spencer, talking with Kyrie when he was healthy. I think that's part of his game, and you don't become a great shooter not having a high basketball IQ because you need to utilize, you know, finding those open spots on the court and just reading the defense. And Joe did a great job of that, especially against a Miami team that was double teaming a little bit and sending a lot of help. He was able to find those open corners or those open shots in the wing and knock them down. Yeah, 25 points, had an assist, you know, four rebounds and five and nine for three. He did get to the throw line uh, a couple of times too. I will say, obviously, I think his IQ and his just general engagement and intensity makes up for any athleticism that he does lack. And I think a lot of players rest on their laurels when it comes to their athleticism. You know, we're talking about Andrew Wiggins, you know, maybe not this season, but in past seasons, guys that are just athletic marvels don't necessarily feel like they have to be as engaged and, and as savvy as a guy like Joe Harris has been, you know, especially, you know, th- these past two or three seasons, he's been absolutely sensational. Funny little story, actually. I was going through just some photos and three years ago, uh, the first person I saw warm up against the Lakers was Joe Harris and he was just shooting and knocking down threes. And I'm like, hmm, I kind of like this guy. I was still in the Brolo bandwagon, but, you know, that uh, I think that sucked me in a little bit, Nick. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think you mentioned the athleticism not being an amazing athlete. One thing Joe is, is very strong. And he does a great job of using his size and using his size also in strength to get through screens or defenders trying to kind of hold them up at that three-point line. He's able to get some momentum where you see some of the smaller three-point shooters kind of get held up at times, you know, some of it on fouls that aren't called. But Joe uses that strength he has to get through some of that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, Nick, you said that, you know, he played as good, if not better than Jared Allen tonight. Is this the sort of thing we can expect from DeAndre going forward? Is it frustrate you because he can show this? Um, I mean, the past two games, he's been pretty good. Do we ex- we want more consistency out of him? What was it that was so good about his game? 15 points, eight rebounds, a couple of dimes, and a steal. It started off a little bit slow, like he wasn't super engaged. But then after like the first two minutes, he just really started to pick it up. And he realized like, hey... I'm bigger than everyone out here. Like, I'm able to dominate inside. You know, he is Myers Leonard, Kelly Olynyk, Bam Adebayo. Like, he was able to use his strength. And a couple things he did tonight, or a couple times he did this tonight, where the oop was a little bit off, he just caught it, took it down, took one dribble, hook shot, money. That was just something that we haven't really seen a ton from DeAndre, and Jared Allen doesn't do it much. And that was an area the Nets were able to capitalize. And it gave the second unit so much needed scoring. Yeah, I think in that sense, Nick, I'll throw it to you a little bit. Should the should DeAndre start to get more offensive looks with the second unit? Should you know? Obviously, we know he's passing from the the high post. Should the you know there be a few sets run for him, or should you know we start to go through him, especially if you know Carrison and Kyrie aren't back for the next couple of games? Yeah, one thing that Kenny and the team did, I don't know if it was specifically coaching or just the feel they had. It wasn't as much playmaking on Theo Pinson. It was more of like activity from everybody. You know, Garrett Temple here, Amon Chumper, David Nawaba, DeAndre Jordan. It was like really a mixed bag of people running the offense for the second unit. And I think that's something that works better when none of you are essentially elite. But I'd like to see DeAndre get his touches, especially if he has a mismatch. Yeah, I'm, 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 
I've always sort of been a little bit higher on DeAndre than a lot of players, than a lot of, sorry, fans and, and, and other sort of pundits, just because maybe whenever I do a preseason sort of breakdown, I always get a lot higher on them. You know, I think Garrett Temple is reflecting that. DeAndre Jordan, you know, his passing is one thing that I always really enjoy watching. I love watching a big man pass, you know, Nikola Jokic, those sort of blokes. But yeah, obviously watching him play sometimes can be frustrating. If he can bring that consistency, you know, given that responsibility, bring that aggression, you know, I think he's going to be really important for us going forward. And obviously an awesome teammate. You know, I think Theo Pinson probably is going to hurt his back if he keeps piggybacking out DeAndre. He's a big dude. That was dangerous. I was like a little <laughs> bit worried. Like DeAndre is no joke to jump on somebody's back. Like, I don't know what I would do if it happened to me. I might fall. Like... <laughs> He's a large man. He is a large man. Nick, I didn't really get to it when we were sort of shutting about down the stretch, but Coach, can he challenge one of the fouls? Yeah, it, I mean, you know what it was? It wasn't a good call, but it wasn't a call they were going to change. You know, if that right. makes sense. It was like something they were calling this game, and you've seen it. You know, a guy kind of pump fakes. The defensive player goes up. He ends up getting back down, but for some reason, the offensive player is able to create contact, this being Jimmy Butler in a situation, the defender being Spencer Dinwiddie. They call the foul. They called it. They weren't going to change it to no call. It cost the net to timeout. I don't think it cost them the game because at that point in the game, you know, those free throws were huge. So I don't mind Kenny challenging there. I think at the end of the day, Spencer just needed to get a better offensive possession on the other end. Yeah, I mean, the coach's challenge is, is a bit of a farce these days. and coach he, That was the generally... first one he lost all season. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was about to say, I think mo most coaches have been relatively successful with it. Some are just throwing in there when Nick Nurse is hugging people when, when he gets one down. But Nick, I'm, I'm going to throw this question at you because you sort of talked to me before the pod. Are you just less down on the nets right now because your Green Bay Packers, the football team for any Australian and internationalists out there, because they won? Yeah, you might not want to mention that I'm a Packer fan. They beat the Giants and a lot of Nets fans are oh. Giants fans. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I just wasn't that down because it felt like the clear difference in this game was that Miami had Jimmy Butler in the clutch time and the Nets didn't have Kyrie or Karras. Yes, they had Spencer, but like I mentioned earlier, the Miami did a great job of disrupting him in the second half and just making life so difficult for him. And other guys weren't able to step in that opportunity. Like down the stretch, and I said it before, you know, Joe Harris had a three. Torian Prince had a shot in the paint. Spencer had a layup he missed. You know, Jared Allen had a tip on it. So it's not like there were opportunities to win. They just didn't execute. Sometimes that happens. And, it, you know, the, a lot of the fans are feeling like, oh, well, you know, we just executed over the last two weeks. Yeah, we were playing bad teams. Miami is a good team. They play good defense. They turn the intensity up. And they have an all-star level player. Yeah, I think for the most part, obviously, I wasn't lucky enough to watch this game having worked, having been at work, sorry. So for me, you know, I'm going to be frustrated a little bit about it. But I think... For the most part, the reason why I guess I probably get a little bit frustrated more and on the buzz and such is because we do game-by-game -game recaps, whereas yeah. most other people, places, when they're recapping their teams, will look at uh, as a sort of, you know, five-game stretch, how'd the Nets go? Well, if you're looking at it overall, the Nets have probably been exceeding expectations, even with our, our guys out, you know, versing teams like the Hornets and the Cavs, the Nets don't necessarily have you know, an, ex an insane amount of talent. Without Spencer Dinwiddie going off, you know, Joe Harris hitting his threes and Jared Allen rebounding like a madman, we don't have some of these wins because, you know, the Nets aren't necessarily that talented. You know, playing Theo Minson and Theo Pinson uh, and Jean and Musa, you know, regular minutes, it's, it makes you a negative team. And you have to do it because they're the only bodies on your roster. And with Wilson Chandler out, a guy we're going to speak about very soon, thanks to one of our listeners, you know, it certainly hurts the rotation and hurts 
hurts the depth and makes you a lesser team. So I get it. I think it's it's probably frustrating because we played so well against Boston. We got that win. It would have been nice for momentum, but you know, there's still you know another 62 games to go in the season. And I think the fact is, you know, Garrett Temple didn't have a crazy game from three or Jared Allen didn't have, you know, 20 points and 16 rebounds or something like that for the Nets to win. And that was what was missing because there were too many mistakes in this game. And a lot of people point to the 10-0 run at the end of the game, but offensive rebounding, you know, 16 offensive boards for the Heat. They were able to get some easy putbacks. It seemed like there was a couple ticky-tacky fouls that the Nets, you know, committed on and one attempts that just weren't necessary or just like if you're going to foul guy in that situation, foul harder. And then also there was some sloppy turn over some plays that they just didn't need to make and then they just had mental lapses defensively not on not only in half court sets but some of the transition defense I felt like could have been better so the game wasn't lost just in that last you know one minute and 45 seconds it was lost throughout the game where they didn't capitalize on some of these small plays and like you mentioned when you're not healthy and you're not fully talented you're not gonna be able to commit those mistakes and still win a game yeah, that's a very fair point, my friend. Now, we'll get to a few points more generally speaking. I think this is one that's been making the rounds. I think it's even a headline on ESPN, uh, mind you. I am seeing a lot of uh, kudos and a lot of media for Spencer Dinwiddie, which is really cool to see because he deserves all of it. Awesome personality, awesome dude, really intelligent, ridiculous basketball player. We had an awesome piece at OGDBasketball.com, Jack Wheeler, fellow Jack, though he has a K, I don't, for those playing along at home. Both Australians, too. Both Australians, so, you know, some fellow Jack Nets fans out there. <laughs> Should the Brooklyn Nets start or bench Spencer did when he went Kyrie Irving returns? Perfect SEO little title there. Nick, what's your answer? You know, we've discussed this a lot over the last couple of shows, and like we mentioned, I don't think it's going to be a huge factor in the sense that their minutes are going to be staggered and they're both probably going to close the game. So ultimately, if they start or not, or then when he starts or comes off the bench, I don't think it's going to have a major impact on the team. Do you think we see some experimentation from from Coach Kenny in that sort of sense? You know, I'm, I'm hearing people say, oh, we should just start Temple over both of them and let Spencer and Karras work together. No, Spencer knows is a much better three-point shooter. Play him alongside Kyrie. He's earned that. You know, I think that there's probably going to have to be done. There's a lot of different things at play. And, you know, I think Coach Kenny, it's a, I guess it's somewhat of a luxury to have at the same time, but it's also a negative because we need to make it work quickly because if we want to be a competitive team in the East, it's going to have to figure itself out sooner rather than later. Yeah, if you want to be a home court team or at least attempt to be one of those middle seeds, you need to start getting things together. So it it's a, an issue, but it's not like the worst of issues. It's not like what they're dealing with now where they just have no options and they have to play lesser sure. players. So at least it's like, okay, we just have to find the right combination. And maybe that is it. Maybe, you know, Spencer and Kyrie work better as starters and Karras can run the second unit. So there's a lot of different dynamics, but we're not really going to be able to know until guys are healthy and how they gel because even the amount of games they play together is such a small sample size for new teammates. Yeah, it's really hard to analyze, but Jack did a really good job of it now on OGD Basketball.com. Make sure to check that out. And plenty of other awesome content uh, going forward when it comes to basketball stuff. Uh, and speaking of that rotation, Nick, we've always been missing, missing Wilson Chandler for a very, very long time. Uh, Mark Dina at Mike Smith 39 has asked us, who is the odd man out when Wilson Chandler returns to the Nets? Or is Wilson Chandler the odd man out? You know, I, he didn't say that, but it's worth asking. 
there's no commitment from the Nets that Wilson Chandler is guaranteed a roster spot. So I found that interesting. And obviously he made the mistake of getting suspended. But given how Rodion's has played, I think they're hoping that Wilson Chandler could provide them some forward depth with some size. So I would think he'd be a guy they'd bring in. They're not obligated to keep him for the whole season anyways. So if they don't like the way he looks, you know, they could make a move down the line. But I think they want to bring in a forward that has some veteran skill and maybe could contribute in a positive way. I would think the most likely scenario is a trade here where maybe they're trading two guys for one somehow and able to bring another name in or trade somebody in the cap space so they can just open a roster spot because I doubt they really want to cut somebody. But if I had to say, it feels like they'd probably cut Theo Pinson. What do you think? Yeah, I was going to say Theo Pinson seems the likely one for me. The only thing that like makes me second guess myself with that is his like his energy and chemistry he brings to the team on the bench. I know that's not like a huge factor in winning games, but Obviously, you want positive guys in the locker room. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not cutting Nicholas Claxton. I mean, you're not cutting... You, you might cut Amman Chump, but I think it's a guy that we haven't spoken about. And I guess uh, probably while we I guess we get to it, how was his game today, Nick? It wasn't terrible. It wasn't amazing. You know, he hit a couple jump shots. He's just clearly bringing a lot of energy. Like, you okay. can instantly feel when Shumpert's on the court. You know, today I felt like he took a little bit, a, a few too many shots in that first half. But at the end of the day, the second unit has been so bad, you can't really hate him too much for it. And I think, you know, I mentioned Theo Pinson having a positive chemistry. It seems like Shumpert maybe could fill that role of being the guy that's just positive on the bench and kind of hyping everybody up. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be, you know, a tricky decision. You know, plenty of decisions for sure, Marks, the front office and the, and the coaching staff to make. You know, Musa, obviously, despite the fact that he may be the, the least talented and may bring the least to the table. He is a young guy and, you know, you've invested in him. He's a first-round pick, a late first-rounder at that. You know, maybe Rodion's Kurutz, you know, is no longer on this team. Maybe, you know, we find out they know more behind the scenes about the allegations, you know, the things to start to, to come out. And, you know, he the, the Nets can't stand for that culture-wise. We don't see Rodion's on this team going forward, which would, would certainly be a shame. But, you know, if the, the allegations are true, I would, I would absolutely advocate for, for getting him off this roster. It's going to be a fascinating one. And it's hard to really answer with a definitive answer right now. And I guess it's why we're sort of sort of sitting on the fence and trying to give answers via different scenarios. But I agree with the, pen, the Pinson one. You know, I think Shumpert has done enough. If David Nawabro is cut, I'm going to, you know, throw this computer at the wall and I'm gonna have to do a, a podcast for my phone for the rest of my life um, so definitely don't definitely don't do but please Sean um, but yeah it's certainly going to be one to track going forward because you know it's almost when we have the, the full kettle of fish and you know a full kettle of, of guys on the roster a, a solid rotation we spoke about preseason the fact that the Nets do have depth, depth again you know we have you know upgrades at a lot of spots on the roster and while early on it certainly was hard to sort of you know speak about at, when we do have you know two three guys who will play rotation minutes back Kyrie Karras uh, and Wilson Chandler it's gonna make this team a lot better because it takes away minutes from Pinson Musa and you know maybe some other guys yeah and I think the fact is like other guys are able to get even more comfortable and take their games to another level where they'll ha help more with the bench role like a guy like Garrett Temple if he gets benched you feel so much better bringing a guy like Garrett Temple off the bench after seeing what he could do as a starter and him getting so comfortable. And like you mentioned, like you're literally just upgrading minutes, like 30 to 40 minutes a game that are going to Pinson and Musa with Kyrie Irving and Karis LeVert. And then you're digging to some other guys. So the team is even more well-rested where I think there's even been certain periods over the stretch having so many games where they could have just used an extra body to play. Literally, if we had one, if we had Shabazz Napier over this stretch, I think the Nets would have, 
probably win this Miami Heat game, maybe even been more competitive in the in the Boston Celtics game as well. It just helps having NBA-ready bodies. And, and Pinson and Musa are very good G League players at this stage. They're, they're poor NBA players because, you know, they're, they're forced out of their comfort zone a little bit. They've had moments, and, and I know Pinson has had his moments. I know Musa you know, will hit a, a, a clutch bucket here and there. But right at this point in their careers, we need Kyrie, we need Karras, and, and the development will be good for them in the G League too. But any final thoughts, Nick, on this matchup and, and generally about the Nets going forward? Not really. I mean, I think about Theo Pinson. I think he's just not a backup point guard. Like, I don't think he's capable of playing a primary ball handler. Like, a secondary hand, a ball handler or a secondary creator off the bench would be something he could develop in. But the role the Nets are asking him to play, I don't think he can do. Maybe possibly ever. Or, you know, maybe it would take a couple years down the line. And like we mentioned with Musa, just not physically ready for the NBA and doesn't necessarily have the experience to be an NBA player yet. Yeah, hopefully Kyrie and Karras are back sooner rather than later. Any, when do you I think know, for Kyrie? Yeah, see, what was the news? I saw Malika Andrews or someone posted out that you know there was you know some sort of update. Did you see it? It was pretty much the same update previously okay. from the Boston game. Like he hasn't been cleared for contact. I believe he's still getting shots up. He was practicing a little bit, but it seems like this week is likely. I know the next matchup is against Atlanta, so maybe you don't necessarily try to rush him back because the Hawks are on a 10-game losing streak and you want to kind of save him as much as possible because like we mentioned, the injury is something that's just going to repair, uh, that's going to heal with rest, not heal with treatment as much. Yeah, I mean, the, the impingement thing, you know, you classifying, I think, as tendonitis, I think, if, even if it's not true, that's what it seems to me, to me that it probably is. And it's probably going to be an ongoing issue. And he has suffered a similar shoulder injury in Boston. You know, there's the Hawks, the Hornets, and the Nuggets are the upcoming games. I'm hoping he comes back against the Hornets. I'm hoping he's back against the Hawks. Um, but at the end of the day, I want him back fully healthy and I want him to play you know, for the rest of the season and, you know, pain-free more than ever. And it'd be nice to have a bit more information. But I think at the end of the day, I don't know if the, even the Nets know fully, you know, with a lot of injuries, you can't necessarily classify it as, oh, it's an ankle sprain or it's a grade three ankle sprain or it's a, you know, it needs thumb surgery or it's an ACL. This is the timeline on it. I don't think the Nets necessarily know because I think it's a bit more complex of a shoulder injury. You know, when you call it an impingement, it makes it sound, you know, a lot lesser in gravity than some other shoulder injuries. But, you know, it's certainly having a lingering effect. So I'm hoping against the Hornets. Yeah, and it's something you just don't know how long it's going to take to heal because it's like, and then when is he feeling good? Like he's getting shots up. Like, is that helping it heal? Is he getting more comfortable? It's you're going to be, you know, not necessarily a conditioning period because he's probably running still or getting on the bike to stay in some type of shape, but still like getting back to basketball activities and feeling comfortable because we know he's an elite, you know, elite skilled player. And he, that just doesn't happen. You don't wake up and you're back to normal. Like he wants to get shots up, get his handles in and kind of get back comfortable being Kyrie Irving. Hopefully we, we get to see Kyrie Irving sooner rather than later. This team, doesn't necessarily need him desperately, but you know, there's a tough stretch coming up with the after those that Nuggets game, we versed the Hornets again and then the Raptors and the Sixers, and he would certainly be helpful against I miss watching him play. I miss watching him play too, you know. Thank God this injury didn't occur while I was over there. I certainly I would have been a little bit disappointed, but so I was lucky enough to see him in person, thankfully. But you know, we need Kyrie back uh, sooner rather than later because, you know, he just elevates us in so many ways, and despite what our, any Boston Celtics media and other stupid NBA fans might say. Yeah, and it's ironic. I, this is just a completely random thought, but this is essentially would be the team that we would have if we didn't sign the starts this season and somehow lost D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert did get injured. But like the team that we were playing with and they're still competitive, which is so crazy, but now we're going to get back 
you know, a, a bona fide star in Kyrie Irving and then a potential star down the line in Karis Avert. It's exciting stuff. But as always, Zach, a pleasure talking Nets with you. Big thanks for everybody listening. Make sure you subscribe and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. And you can find us on otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and bluewirepods.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.